0: exciting. We have a yeah. great audience today. I'm really mm-hmm. excited. Thank you guys again for coming.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about what it means to be one. That was mine. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, I'm yeah. just
0: yeah. Kidding. No, that's great. Yeah. I'm excited about the gathering of the saints to Ohio. This is going to be their first big move for the purpose mm-hmm. of the temple.
1: Yeah. Uh, so welcome, everyone. Welcome. Before we get into our discussion, maybe we should follow up on what we read. Let's do it. Okay. So today we're talking about Doctrine and Covenants, sections 37 to 40. It begins off with, uh, with saints being called to gather in Ohio and to strengthen the church and be one.
0: So they're going to be given power to go forth among all the nations and teach the gospel. And they're also going to be invited to help the poor and the needy so that they can have the riches of eternity.
1: Mm -hmm. And it's also in these sections that the Lord says that to receive the gospel is to receive him. So we're gonna focus in on three things in particular today. First, we're gonna ask the question, what exactly does it mean to be one? We're also gonna explore the relationship between morality and wealth, and then look at some of the titles of Christ by which he refers to himself and ask ourselves, why are these significant? And what can we learn about his character from them?
0: So in order to help us to dive deeper into these sections of the Doctrine and Covenants and to understand these topics better, we have invited our wonderful friend, Mm -hmm. Tracy Browning. Tracy, would you come join us up here, please? Thank you
2: so much. Really excited to be here. Really appreciate the conversation. Mm -hmm.
0: We really appreciate you being here. So Tracy, you were raised in Jamaica. You joined the church at age 16. You studied at St. John's University in the field of accounting. Yes. And you're the director of the Church Publishing Services Department. Can you give us a little bit more information about what that is? Sure, sure. The Publishing Services Department of the Church is
2: responsible for creating the messages and materials that go out into the world. So if you think about video content and manuals and um, lots of the messages that you see and interact with online and in print, our department is responsible in some way for helping to develop and create that.
0: And Tracy is also on the Relief Society General Board. And again, can you just tell us what that means and how long you've been doing that as well? Yeah, I
2: was called to the Relief Society General Board in September of 2018, so we're at the two-year mark now. Um, it feels just like yesterday, but I support the Relief Society presidency as they serve in their responsibility to all the women of the church. I sit on committees that I've been assigned to to help provide the perspective of the sisters and the women in the church as it relates to very specific topics um, that we've been asked to consider and counsel together on. We work a lot with the brethren to do instruction and to provide um, encouragement and Appreciation certainly to all the sisters that are serving in leadership capacities in
0: Relief Society. Wow, fantastic. Well, thank you for all of your work on that.
1: Yeah. So maybe we can jump right into it. Before we get into our topics, I'm wondering, uh, Tracy, was there anything in these sections that stood out to you as especially meaningful or significant or something we need to know going in to better understand these sections? What do you think?
2: Yeah, I was really, really impressed with Doctrine and Covenants 38. I read it and reread it and just kept kind of absorbing that, because I know that there's this pattern in the gospel where the Lord often provides us with commandments, and he asks us to do things, and then he expresses what the um, blessings are that comes from our obedience to those commands. And I felt that chapter 38, before he even gets into what he wants to do, he spends a lot of time talking about how he's going to richly bless us based on our obedience. And I was really struck by that, just the gracious and the wealth of the blessings that God was going to provide if we would heed his commandment to be one and to
0: be unified. Blessings of the righteous, right?
1: Maybe we can start in that that verse. I say unto you, be one, and if you are not one, You are not mine. So maybe we can start there and just kind of reflect on what exactly does it mean to be one and what does this require of us?
0: This topic of of being one or to be one is is absolutely critical, especially in these sections. I mean, just a little bit of the historical context. You're speaking specifically of section 38. And this is mostly to this group of people in in the Colesville area, Colesville, New York. In section 29, the Lord's going to tell all of these people that they're going to be gathering at some point. I I don't think that any of them knew what that really meant. I don't think that they understood that that meant they were actually going to leave their homes and they were going to leave their families. They're going to leave their neighbors. And the Lord actually tells them as we get into section 37, they are going to have to move to the Ohio. But the blessings the Lord promises them before they even move is pretty astounding.
1: I'm interested in hearing some of the perspectives of our audience members. What does it mean to be one or how would you characterize that feeling of oneness that you've uh, perhaps experienced in in your experience in the church?
3: I I understand that there's a lot of different social things that are going on in our world right now and that Mm -hmm. it's very easy for us to differentiate each other, Mm -hmm. to say, you're this, you're that. But if we really sit back and understand of who we really are and know where we came from, we would understand that we're all God's children. Mm-hmm. You know, we would understand that in the end, when we see each other how Heavenly Father sees us, we are one, we're one big family of God. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what really brings us together. And when we see those um, parallels with each other, I think we can be more
1: um, in union and be as one. Excellent. And that's kind of what uh, what, what is mentioned here in, in DNC and 38, 16 and 24 through 25. We're told that the Lord is no respecter of persons, that he doesn't view us as in kind of a hierarchy or anything like that, right?
0: I think that's an important point, especially when we're looking just a few verses down there. You go to verse 32, and I, I know I've mentioned the temple already, but that was the purpose of the gathering, was really to bring them to the temple. And you look at verse 32, and, and the Lord says, Wherefore, for this cause I gave unto you the commandment, that you should go to the Ohio, and there I will give unto you my law, and there you shall be endowed with power from on high. Joseph Smith has a great quote regarding some of this as well, this idea of the gathering, the purpose of it. He says the following, what was the object of gathering the people of God in any age of the world? The main object was to build unto the Lord a house whereby he could reveal unto his people the ordinances of his house and the glories of his kingdom and teach the people the way of salvation for there are certain ordinances and principles that when they are taught and practiced must be done in a place or house built for that purpose. It is for the same purpose that God gathers together his people in the last days to build unto the Lord a house to prepare them for the ordinances and endowments, washings and anointings, etc. Tracy, I'm going to kind of throw this back to you. Uh, as we've discussed a little bit about being one, what is your experience and what is your understanding of being one in context of the temple and the endowment?
2: When I think about the temple and our practice of the temple, this is a place where we go to eliminate a lot of the distractions that we might find in the world so that we can refine our sight, so that we can see things clearly. And that includes the people that are participating in the ordinances with us. We're covenanting um, more and deeper about the connections that we have with the human family. So for me, unity is just rife in a lot of the ordinances of the temple. And I love that a part of that is about refining our eyesight to be able to see God's family and to see God's children the way that he sees us. We should be looking to see each other that way and seeking to see each other the way that God sees us.
1: I really love that kind of vision that it gives us of how things can be.
2: I know that there's a quote that Sister Bingham gave maybe a year or so ago that I think is really, really important on unity. She says, "'Unity is essential to the divine work "'we're privileged and called to do, "'but it doesn't just happen. "'It takes effort and time to really counsel together, "'to listen to one another, "'understand others' viewpoints, and share experiences. "'But the process results in more inspired decisions. "'Whether at home or in church responsibilities, "'the most effective way to fulfill our divine potential "'is to work together, "'blessed by the power and authority of the priesthood "'in our differing yet complementary roles.'" This is a really significant quote for me because, in my responsibilities on the general board, I'm asked to model this in the way that I go about my assignment. I do everything by council. I work with the Relief Society Presidency. I work with the General Board. And all of our conversations and discussions and decision-making are done in a council format. When you're working in a council, one of the primary objectives is to seek unity. And that unity isn't around anyone's specific perspective. It's about unifying around the Lord's divine will. We're trying to align ourselves to the Savior. And when we're all focused on that goal when we're all together focused that we need to find and understand what the Lord would have us do, there is a kinship
0: and a spirit of unity that is built. So you're talking about unity. It reminds me of President Eyring's talk that he gave in in October of 2020. President Eyring talks about the importance of being one. And then specifically to the sisters, he says, you sisters, you daughters, your granddaughters, and the women you have nurtured will be at the heart of creating that society of people who will join in glorious association with the Savior. You will be an essential force in the gathering of Israel and in the creation of a Zion people who will dwell in peace in the new Jerusalem. And then he continues, The Lord has, through his prophets, made a promise to you. In the early days of the Relief Society, the prophet Joseph Smith said to the sisters, if you live up to your privileges, the angels cannot be restrained from being your associates. So just a question for you. We can't create Zion with, with any kind of discord, in a, in a sense, of gender, of race, or of any other idea, ideology, frankly. So how have you seen others create Zion? Like how have you seen other women? How have you seen your mothers, your grandmothers, and others? What gifts and talents are you seeing as, as they're trying to help people come unto Christ?
3: One of my earliest memories growing up was um, walking in on my mother on her knees, praying on her bed. And seeing that, that gave me a foundation and gave me uh, something to follow for my life. When times were hard or times were uncertain, and it's definitely been a blessing for me when we've had chaos in our house and had a lot of family issues. Seeing
4: my mother on her knees, that, it, it changed my life. Thank you, that's beautiful.
0: Any final thoughts or comments? Yeah, Jonas.
4: I was not the best child growing up, and I remember coming home and I I saw my mom praying, and the Spirit told me that she was praying for me. And there was something really humbling about that, and it was like guilt mixed with humility, um, because I knew that she was sincerely praying for me, and um, that really softened my heart.
0: That's beautiful. It's beautiful that the Spirit would teach you that as well. Yeah. Tracy, do you have any thoughts, any final thoughts on this? Yeah. You know,
2: I, as I was listening to all the wonderful comments from um, our group here today, I just kept thinking about that quote from President Nelson where he said, anything that we do for anyone on either side of the veil is assisting in gathering. Whether we're gathering our families to pray, whether we're showing kindness to a stranger or someone we're not familiar with, whether we're taking a name to the temple, whether we're driving a neighbor to an appointment, whether we're making a a cake and inviting someone into our home for a treat, anything that we do for anyone on either side of the veil is part of that gathering work. And it takes that interdependence between sisters and brothers who are seeking for salvation and are seeking to share that salvation and offer um, their assistance for people to get on the covenant path to be a part of that gathering work. And it's and it's simple and it's easy. A lot of that happens through the feelings and the promptings that come through the spirit that te- tell us what we can do to offer and help in that gathering work. But we can remember that we don't have to do it alone. We have a lot of other companions on this journey with us who will help us in the work of gathering. Excellent. beautiful.
1: So this has been a great discussion about what it means to be one. Uh, thank you for all your comments. I've certainly learned a lot. So i wonder if we can transition now to the Lord's discussion of the relationship between morality and wealth. Section 38 verses 16 through 18 and then in verse 39, poor that have complained before me and the rich have I made. All flesh is mine, I am no respecter of persons. I have made the earth rich, and behold, it is my footstool. So this idea that all the material resources of the earth are the Lord's, not ours. And then in verse 18, he goes on to say, I want to give you greater riches, even a land of promise, a land flowing with milk and honey, upon which there shall be no curse. Verse 39, if you seek the riches which it is the will of the Father to give you, you shall be the richest of all people, for you shall have the riches of eternity And it must needs be that the riches of the earth are mine to give, but beware of pride, lest you become as the Nephites of old. So there's a lot going on here, but a few things to point out. Um, It seems to suggest, at least in my reading, that disciples have some responsibility to the poor, perhaps, or to help one another. There seems to be this idea that God blesses the faithful with material resources, perhaps. And also this idea that not all uh, riches, as it were, are, are monetary in nature. So this just kind of raises the question in my mind, what is the relationship between morality and wealth? And should we expect wealth to follow our righteousness? And I think, yes, I think we absolutely can expect wealth from the
2: Lord, but I don't think that means money or monetary means. I think it means riches, like a richness in life. And I think if we are obedient to the commandments and we keep our covenants, then the Lord absolutely will bless us with richness in our lives. We may be poor, we may be wealthy, but no matter what our monetary standing is, we will have richness of life if we keep our commandments and our and our covenants. Thank you, Jill. That is a powerful truth to understand that a lot of times we recognize that in, in our experiences here on the earth, we're living in lots of different Um, Conditions. We're a global church with members all over the world that are living in different circumstances. And that does not mean that the circumstances with which we're living in deny us access to the richness of joy and a richness of peace and a richness of spiritual blessings, spiritual gifts. That that is available to all of us despite our economic differences. God continues to tell us that he's not a respecter of person. And shortly after he tells us that, he talks about the parables of the sons and that he doesn't respect the, the son that is wealthy any more than the son that has less, and that he sees us all as the same, and we're not going to be any less blessed with richness, the things that matter to him in the eternal perspective, because we know that a lot of these temporal, which are great, temporal monetary resources don't follow us into the eternities, that those spiritual gifts that God has blessed us with, that we're flesh and rich with, those things carry forward with us into eternity. Thank you, Jill.
0: I remember one time, it was right after my mission, and I had put every penny into my mission, and I really had nothing left, and I was working hard trying to get back to college. And I remember walking out of the grocery store in Oregon, where I'm from, and there was this gentleman standing there, and I knew nothing about this gentleman, but I had this impression that I should give him my $20 bill that was in my pocket. And I remember thinking, he's fine. (laughs) and then walking off, right? I mean, this really happened. End of story. Yes, and I'm walking out (laughs) again. I'm I'm through the doors now and I felt this impression again, give that man that $20. And I was like, he clearly has more money than I do. Why would I give him the $20? I got to my car, go back and give the man the $20. I drove off. I felt that I needed to give that man the $20. I drove back that day to give him the $20 and he was gone. To this day, I have no idea why that man needed $20 or if he even needed $20. I think it was a test for me. I know it was a test for me because I have remembered that. From that point on, I have recognized it's not about money. It's about, it's about following the spirit. It, it was about my eternal growth and, and, and things in the future. $20, frankly, was not the issue, although I felt like it was. What the issue was is, will I obey the spirit? Will I give whatever I have to obey the Lord? And in that moment, I didn't. And it's, it's frustrating to me to this day. Hopefully, I've gotten to the point and obeyed the Lord enough that I know the Lord can ask anything of me and I'm going to give it because I don't. I want God to be first always in my life.
2: What's important that I love about this story, it talks about experience that help us on that road to becoming. Some of those experiences that we have, we, we often are uplifting and they're, they're edifying and we talk about them with such joy in that process of the things that we did right. But there are, there are sacred mistakes that we can make that also offer the same amount of edification and learning and growth. And I love that you would share a story that talked about this was a missed opportunity, but I did learn that what I needed to focus on is trusting the Lord and being willing to be obedient immediately to those promptings. And that's just as important as if you had learned it through the process of actually being obedient. Don't discount the sacred mistakes that we make in our lives that also teach us how to
0: become more like the savior. I'd that's the
1: case more often than not, too. It's the mistakes that stick with you. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, in, in fact, yeah. there have been times when, when I've hesitated and immediately the Spirit says, remember that $20. Like, okay, done, Yeah. right? Yeah, thank you. But this has been a great discussion on, on morality and wealth. Thank you, and thank you for these experiences and insights. We'd like to introduce our next topic, which is the Titles of Christ. This is a topic that President Nelson has specifically asked us as members of the church to be studying, Christ and his titles, and every, every section of Doctrine and Covenants, or almost every section of the Doctrine and Covenants, is in a sense an autobiography of the Savior.
1: Specifically in 38 and 39, which are the sections that we're talking about now, he says that I am the Lord, your God, Jesus Christ, the great I am, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, The light and life of the world, a light which shineth in darkness, and darkness comprehendeth it not. Do any of these titles have personal significance for you? What do they teach you about Christ uh, and his character and his relationship to you?
0: Yes, Kate. In verse 2 where it says, "Um, He is the light and the life of the world, um, a light which shineth in the darkness. um, that I have had multiple experiences where I feel like my testimony isn't as strong as other people's. Um, But whenever I think of Jesus Christ and how he is the light and the life of the world, it gives me peace that even if my testimony is still growing because it will continue to grow, I know that if I continue to look to Jesus Christ, then I will be at peace and he will bless me. That is a beautiful comment. Thanks, Kate. I love the statements that our
2: Savior is making here and speaking directly to us about his titles, his character, and who he is primarily because he's going to ask us and ask the people during this time to do a lot. And if you think about anything that's confident building... I know that I can rely on a God that is the Alpha and Omega. I know that I can rely on a God that is the light and light of the world, that the darkness doesn't even understand. That's the confidence that I hear in Kate's response, that I know that I'm growing in my testimony and I have more to grow, but I have a lot of confidence in the Savior to help me in that process. And, and I think that that's important for the, the, the Lord to reassure us. Don't worry. I'm going to ask you to do hard things, but remember who you're serving. I am the master here. This is my world. And the things that I ask you to do, I will offer you that help and support. You are being supported by the Alpha and the Omega. And that, to me, gives me so much confidence in trying to do the thing that the Lord wants me to do, which is to be obedient to His commands. And it's such an inspiring message that He, again, starts with that explanation of who He is to provide you with that confidence. He tells you about all the rich blessings that He is going to give you, predicated on your obedience and then he asks you to do something. And I love that pattern, and I love that that is the way that he introduces that to us.
1: So we've been talking about kind of the relationship between these titles and Christ's character and how he relates to us. We actually have a video um, question from a viewer at home about this.
2: Hi, my name is Alma Hansen, and I am from Mexico, from the city of Puebla. And my question today is, how did Jesus Christ develop his character? I have been thinking about that question because I think it's very important for us to understand how he was able to grow in so many aspects. But it would be great if we can talk a little bit more about this.
0: My mind just goes specifically to section 93 of the Doctrine and Covenant Since we're there, I think it's such a great, great revelation to the prophet on Jesus Christ. And it includes many of his titles. But if you look at section 93, verse... 12. So John is speaking. He says, And I, John, saw that he received not. So this is referring to Jesus Christ. I, John, saw that he received not of the fullness at first, but received grace for grace. And he received not of the fullness at first, but continued from grace to grace until he received a fullness. And thus he was called the son of God because he received not of the fullness at first. And then eventually, if you go to verse 17, it says, And he received all power, both in heaven and on earth. And the glory of the father was with him, for he dwelt in him. In verse 20, it says, for if you keep my commandments, you shall receive of his fullness. John is very specific when he's talking about this in section 93, and this is a revelation from the Lord. John is actually saying, Jesus Christ received of the fullness because he was obedient to God, his father, and he did it line upon line and received it grace for grace. Andrew, you had a comment.
3: I like also that at the end of verse 20, it says, I say unto you, you shall receive grace for grace. Yeah. I mean, that kind of gives me, oh, You know, knowing that I have an opportunity that I can become like him, too, and that we shouldn't be too hard on ourselves, that we're going to get there, that it takes time, yeah. but that it's going to—we its we just have to be patient in this life.
4: Probably the thing that defined his character the most was the, the mental and physical suffering that he had to go through. It, it just seems so amazing to me that, you know, he's not just up in the clouds— you know doing his thing he came down to earth and experienced more mental and physical suffering than any of us have ever experienced through that he became jesus christ so i think hmm, maybe you know when i'm suffering like that is building my character i can look back to times where i suffered the worst pain but that made me grow into a better person, and it built my character. So Christ set that example of how suffering builds our our character.
0: Jonas, that just brought me to 1 Nephi chapter 11, where Nephi's trying to understand the condescension of God, which is what, in a sense, you're talking about there. So it's uh, 1 Nephi 11, verse 16, and then uh, he says, do you understand the condescension of God? And Nephi says, I know that he loved with his children, nevertheless, I do not know the meaning of all things. And then he sees the condescension of God. And then he's overwhelmed by it. Like I had no idea how much love God had for me. And I think as these these saints are going through this process of coming into Christ and knowing him, Christ is showing him over and over again. He wants to extend his hand. He wants to forgive so badly. He wants to help people repent. He wants them to be unified. And these titles that he's using, the way he's introducing himself is really bringing that up. And it's the same for us today. He continues to use those titles today. So it's been a great discussion on the titles of Christ. Thank you for your thoughts and comments and we challenge you to continue to study the titles of Christ as President Nelson has asked us to do. Tracy, thank you so much for your insights, uh, your understanding of the scriptures that you've shared with us today, and and also just for your life and your wonderful example. We really appreciate you being here. So thank you. It's been wonderful. And thank thank you you to our wonderful audience. We appreciate uh, your thoughts, your comments, your insights.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And to those of you at home, thank you for your comments and questions and insights that you sent to us uh, via social media. We'd love to have you come join us in the studio sometime, but if you can't, uh, we hope you'll tune in next week and Come Follow Up.